humans are feeling beings that think, not thinking beings that feel. So if you can be the thinking being that feels, where recognize of, don't shoot yourself in the foot over a grand. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? This is Mason McDonald and Dan Habercost with the Big Picture Blueprint. And today we are going to be talking about the art of negotiating land deals. You know, in real estate, there's so many different asset classes. And with land, you're going to be working with all different types of individuals. But before we get into the show, Dan, how are you doing today? Mason, I'm great. The uh, market is hot. Doesn't feel that different from 2021. And we're buying and selling a lot of real estate. Which is amazing to hear because if you watch the news, Dan, you are wrong. And I am wrong. Nobody wants housing. The market is crashing. Interest rates are causing a freeze on buying and every other doom and gloom you know, prophecy that is out there. But today we're going to talk about how you can make money in real estate no matter what. Because if you're great at negotiating, you've heard the saying before, you make your money when you buy. And in order to do that, you have to be an effective negotiator, which starts at the beginning of making sure that your marketing is aligned with your avatar, which is another great episode of ours. So go back and listen to that one first if you haven't. But Dan, let's talk about it. Let's jump in. Building out your avatar, that's step one through the negotiation process. What does that mean? How do we how do we utilize that? Yeah, this is really, really important because the way that if you want to sell me something versus from the South or even for who's from Colorado, those are two or three very different communication styles. If things that are going to work for them are going to drive me nuts. And so that's what we're talking about here is you need to have an idea generally who are you speaking to and what are their wants, needs, fears, and just communication style in general. And if you don't establish this, that can really uh, hurt your ability to get deals because you could even have a, a motivated seller who you end up pushing away because you don't know how to communicate with them properly. So this is step one. So let, let's dive into that a little bit more. How do you identify what type of person it is? How can you tell from a phone call or just having some basic information about the person, who they are, what type of seller they are, uh, what type of individual they are? What's kind of one a specific tactic you use to figure that out? Well, let me start macro and then go micro. So macro, generally speaking, when we're going after land, we're talking to older people, right? Because they bought it a long time ago. They probably bought it for cash. And usually it's going to be the older folks that had had the money to buy for cash and still own that land, right? And so right off the bat, generally, you're going to need to talk a little bit slower uh, you probably have to build a little bit more rapport. They're in less of a hurry. They have lots of time. Uh, so that tends to be what the seller looks like. You've got to build trust. They're the number one target of scams, right? Older, older people. But there's always exceptions. And so when you get on the phone with someone, this is just a skill you'll develop over time or very quickly you'll get a feel for how they communicate and you want to be able to mirror that. And so I'm an easy example. I easily communicate with people from New England, Boston, New York. That's how I like quick. I don't want to build them for, I don't care. Don't ask me how my day is. Just get to the point. 
in the context of business. Whereas if you're dealing with someone from Louisiana who's 80 years old, they're probably going to want to talk. And so big picture, it tends to be more of the person that wants to talk, that you have to go slower, that you have to hold their hand when buying land deals. But you'll find exceptions. So as you get better at this, you, sh you should be able to identify and pick up on and mirror their method of communication. That's great. And there's there's a good amount to unpack there. Uh, first of which, this is why Dan fired himself from talking on the phone to people. Because the old lady from Mississippi that wanted to tell her entire life story and Dan said, hurry the hell up. I want to buy your land from you. I don't care about your second grandchild's third cat. But that right there is a really important thing to note. And you can kind of determine the sophistication of someone based on the language they use. Not based on their accent, which is something that I feel like a lot of people, depending on where you are in, in the country, might make assumptions. People might assume that someone from the South, because they have Southern or Texas accent, that they might be dumb. Or someone from the Northeast, that they're going to be very quick. And you can kind of determine that by their accent. But most importantly, you need to focus on their language. And I think something else, you can't make assumptions about people in general. Uh, you're going to have to make some assumptions about them in order to be a successful negotiator, but you can also kind of determine the level of sophistication with a potential investor or developer or someone that if they own a lot of land, and Dan and I both use PropStream as a tool within our business, look up the property that the subject property that you're potentially negotiating a deal on and see how many linked properties they have. If they have a primary residence in Nebraska and one piece of land in Arizona, they might not necessarily be a former developer where you could be working with someone that has 20, 50, or 100 lots. So not only does your language need to match them from a level of sophistication, but also a level of jargon. And what I mean by that related to what Dan brought up about mirroring, you can use horizontal development, you know, vertical development and just random different terminology within the real estate world to mirror them so they once again understand that you are a legitimate buyer yep no absolutely you make a lot of good points there and all this is to say you have to be able to ask good questions regardless of who you're talking to good or effective negotiation is asking the right questions to figure out what their motivations and fears are Maybe they're just should be a retail seller and should go list with a realtor. And that's fine. But, you know, I see on our note sheet here, you put that they need to be talking more than you are. And that's so true. Think of the 80 20 rule. You should be asking questions and they should be telling you anything and everything uh, pertaining to the land, what they intend to do with it, and what their goal is now. Absolutely. And right next to that note, we say always use silence. Silence is one of the best negotiating tactics that I've figured out in my business where I love talking. It's why we have a podcast together. That's why I can go into a room and feel very comfortable talking to anyone for hours about anything at all. However, it's difficult sometimes to just shut up and listen and shut up and listen to silence because sometimes, and we'll get into you know, figuring out the right numbers and figuring out the right tactics in a minute. But if you can allow there to be silence on the phone, I promise they're uncomfortable too. And that allows them to throw out a number first. But 
I think starting at the beginning of a conversation, something that I use just getting into some of the tactics related to negotiation is, and specifically within land is I always ask what their plan for the land was. And regardless of if it's a sophisticated investor or a developer or a builder or someone that inherited this lot or bought it on vacation a hundred years ago, that right there potentially elicits an emotional response because they can recognize that my dreams have changed. My life has changed. This land has now become a burden rather than something that is enjoyable for me, which can allow the negotiating to really, really start because you can offer different things that they need based on the individual seller. Because once again, when you make assumptions about someone, uh, two weeks ago, we bought a bunch of land from a former developer and she knew what she was doing. And she knew that we were offering significantly less than market price, but she had a gigantic tax burden on these properties just because she had been focusing on other properties and we were able to solve her problem. And I think a lot of people would say, Ooh, I defend her if I offered this much money. And so if you can get them to be a little emotional and you can maintain logic in the negotiation, I think that's always going to give you the upper hand. Yeah, absolutely. We ask the same question. That's what I have my acquisition people do is we like to, especially if they're pulling back a little bit or acting like, well, maybe I'll just keep it. My favorite question is, oh, so so you do plan to move there and build on the land. Silence. Then silence. And then what goes on in their head? No. Okay. I guess not. I am just wasting my t time and or my taxes, tax money and leaving this money sitting. I, I should do something. Uh, so effective questions are very powerful and some version of whether it's exactly the way Mason said it or the way I said it of asking them what they intended to do, what they're doing is a great way to get them to acknowledge, Hey, I'm never going to use this. And so that really does get the conversation started. Absolutely. And another point that we have here on our notes is the idea of urgency, where I think a lot of times if you're in this space or potentially you're a former wholesaler or you're in the home space or in a really, really competitive area within the real estate market or some other aspect of business, recognize that urgency might not be the most attractive thing to the seller that is not in a hurry and not in a rush to get things done. And that can actually scare people off because as Dan said at the beginning of this episode, a lot of times people are older and we mean that retiree age, give or take 10 or 15 years. Uh, we're not saying that people, we're not saying the 30 or 40 year old are the older people just because we're in our 20s. We're talking the people that are 65 and up. And if you say, I want to buy your land tomorrow, that might scare them. Because if you think about it from the standpoint of they've owned this piece of land for 20, 30, 40 years, one day or two days or two weeks or six weeks or six months isn't a big different, big, big deal to them. So Dan, I know this is something that you talk about all the time, whether it's in with our, with our land group or just you and I in business in general, for the person that's not in a rush, how do you create the systems in business to do appropriate follow-up? Yeah. I've got a first comment on what you just said. We've actually changed our methodology in line with what you just said, where even if it's a simple, where we know exactly what we can offer, we almost never do it on the first call. And we usually say, hey, we'll do our due diligence and call you back in you know four to five days or next. Sometimes if it's a complex one in two or three weeks, and we're finding this to be more effective in that 
Number one, they appreciate it because it sounds like we did more specific work on their parcel than some of these markets. We certainly are because some of them are complex. And like you said, num- number two, it just makes them uncomfortable. They've owned it in 20 years. One day, one month, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, we made an offer on two really expensive parcels in Corralix yesterday where that was a month, a month. My guy on that one, he told them, hey, these are complex. It might be a full, like that expectation was set. And then the call went very well. So I'm glad you make that point. Now, to your question regarding follow-up. Now, I'd rather over-communicate than under, but this is a delicate balance because many of our deals, we're getting three, six, nine months down the road. And what we do is initially, when we're negotiating, follow up approximately every week. But then after that, uh, here, let me give you an example, because this is hard to generalize because it's so specific to the individual. But let me give you guys a specific example. We got a lead last September on a lot in North Carolina. And the seller was, hey, maybe I'll sell, maybe not. I think we offered eight or nine grand originally. And he goes, no, that's a little low, but we'll, we'll stay in contact. So we put him in our long-term follow-up category in Pebble. And my guy followed up with him every one to two months. And it was pretty consistent along that sort of talk track. To, eh, no, I mean, I don't want to go that low. If you can come up a little bit. We didn't want to come up until that area really started heating up this year. And we could sell it higher than we initially thought. And so we ended up, what was it in June, settling at, or maybe it was July, settling at 10500 We closed it. And within two days of being listed on the market, it went under contract at twenty five, And then it just closed last week at twenty five. And so it's been a year since we initially got that lead. And it took nine or 10 months to get it under contract. And then another 45 days to actually close it. And he's got another parcel that we're working on negotiating. And that's much bigger. That's more like buy at 100 and sell at 220. And I think a lot of people will hear that and be like, man, that is so much work to make 10 grand or 12 grand or whatever it was after commissions and closing costs and everything. And some people might hear that and say, oh my gosh, that's amazing as, as I think, because how many total hours of work did that take to make that $11,000? Yeah, I believe. So my acquisition guy he had the initial conversation, a couple of follow-ups, and mostly it's just voicemails or missed calls where he called, the guy didn't answer, and so he left a voicemail. And so most of that follow-up was you know, 45 to 60 seconds. So collectively, he probably spent one to one and a half hours on the phone. So not much at all. Follow-up takes almost no time. There you go. And if you're making 11 grand an hour, talk to us. You're the type of person we like doing business with because that's the way you need to look at things is that the long-term approach will make it so where whenever they are ready to sell, they're going to think of you. And I know you've had that success in other areas of your business, Dan, by doing appropriate follow-up too, which feel free to chat about that uh, if you want to and how you are at the top of mind for so many potential sellers. Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this forever. The best deal we got this year, we bought it 45 and sold it 130500 two days on market. And same deal. We got that lead end of last year. We didn't get that deal. I think we closed it, another contract and closed it in June this year. It was another, you know, eight or nine months. They're not all like that. 
but many of them are. And especially recently, we, we just got another nice duplex lot in Lehigh Acres, which are like liquid cash. And what do you know, that one took five months. So yeah, it, it's just a matter of staying on top of it, a touch every two weeks to one month, sometimes two months, depending, and that will get you deals. So what does your fall look like, Mason? Yeah, I, I think it's very similar to yours uh, with depending on the individual. Uh, we can sometimes, depending on how upset they might have been with us on first contact, uh, we might just send them a postcard every six months. And with other ones, it's checking in every two to three weeks of, I think, uh, fingers crossed, we'll find out either today or tomorrow if they accept our offer. It's We've been chatting with this guy. Uh, we've heard about his retirement party. We've heard about his grandchildren that he recently had and all the things that are kicking the can down the road. Uh, but it'd be a purchase price of $40,000 with a sale around the $119,000, $120,000 range. And it's just by, hey, we're the one person that's consistently communicating. Uh, the competition that we have in this industry is minimal. And the majority of the people that I get purchase agreements from in the mail that are within my price range that I'm willing to call and negotiate on the sales side, they never call me back. And so by doing some of the basic, most simple things in follow-up and just being willing to communicate, it's going to get you so many deals. And I think a moderately tangential point to make around this that's not necessarily related to negotiating is for whatever you're doing, you want to be at the top of mind for most people. That's part of why Dan and I put out content. That's part of why we talk with friends and family members about the business that we're doing. Because whenever something happens that is related to our realm, Dan and I are going to be the first people that so many people call because they know that Mason does land in Colorado and Arizona, and Dan does land in Colorado and New Mexico and Florida. And whenever you're talking about this, it's the same thing from a follow-up and negotiation standpoint. So recognize that it might come across as annoying in your mind. But you chatting and leaving a voicemail once a month to someone, it's not annoying. Uh, it doesn't really bother them. They're getting so many frustrating scam calls from people from other countries that they don't know what's going on and they don't understand. But leaving a voicemail saying, hey, it's Mason. Hope you're doing well, Larry. I uh, hope your retirement party went great. Uh, just wanted to call and see if you still had any interest in selling your land to us that you own in blah, blah, blah. And that right there, that 30 seconds a month, will end up making us $50,000. So think about your time commitment. Think about how to maintain top of mind and come across as being legitimate and being professional in your communication, which I think kind of brings brings me to one of our other points, which is you always need to be kind whenever you are negotiating because emotions are going to come into play. But Dan, how do you feel like if you could have all of the sellers describe you or your acquisition manager in a few words, what words do you think they would use? It's a great point. Yeah. Patient, attentive, uh, uh, something regarding just their good listeners. And I'm glad you made this point because it tends to be the people that are most worried about scams or who are angry at first that end up converting. Because if you can get past that, and show, hey, no, we're not a scam. You know, do, do everything required to make them understand, yes, we will actually send the money and close on this. Or if, again, they're upset, but you take the time to 
listen, talk to them, get past those hurdles. Uh, then they're kind of attached hip to you and they want to do business with you. So those tend to be the best leads as opposed to the cold and rational pragmatist who does not care. Uh, and so to your point, Mason, no matter what the sellers say, even if they're jerks, do not respond in turn. Make sure that you maintain kind professionalism and that will also get you deals. I think that's great. It's It seems simple. It seems obvious. But the idea of leading with kindness and professionalism always is going to it's going to get you more deals in the long run. It's going to give you better business relationships in the long run. And it can be, you can use a lot of different tactics related to that. I think self-deprecating humor in some regards can be really, really effective depending on who the, who the potential uh, seller is or the uh, other side of the negotiation and recognize and call out the behavior that you might feel insecure about and say, hey, I bet you think I'm some asshole that's trying to scam you again and but I want you to recognize we're different. I'm sending you proof of funds right now to your email that you gave us. Uh, we have a great relationship with these people. This is the title rep that we use in this county. We insure every purchase. We do all of the stuff that other companies are never going to do. And that's why we buy and sell lots and lots and lots of land in whatever county we're talking about. So it seems simple, but that's once again, businesses. It's boring. It's simple. Uh, you can have a lot of fun with it and get creative, but if you're kind and professional, you're going to get more deals than everyone else is doing. Yeah, no, th there's a lot of great points there. And go going back to what we started the conversation with, these tend to be older people that are worried about scams, want to talk, and they bought this a long time ago. And so what Mason just said fits that demographic very well. And that's the key to this. If you're out buying apartments or commercial strip centers, you need to know who you're talking to and align your negotiating accordingly. And so a couple other things that we have found uh, to work really consistently is, well, or kind of as a corollary to everything you said, is we have an FAQ sheet, a frequently asked question sheet that answers all this. So, oh, here's our North Carolina attorney we use. Here's our banker sending, yes, we do have the funds available. Here's how the whole process works. All of that tends to alleviate a lot of those fears and worries. And it gets us deals. So all the time when, let's say, my acquisition person makes an offer at 50K and they go, oh, well, we have an offer at 60. First question is, oh, did they send you proof of funds? He's like, oh, no. Oh. And then sometimes, you know, the, the seller goes and checks and they are legitimate. And sometimes they go and check and, oh, no, 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 they were full of crap. So really, again, asking good questions and focusing on the concerns of these sellers and legitimacy is at the top of the list. You can build that, whereas the other your other competition cannot. You can get deals even if you're offering less. There we go. There we go. And Dan, I think I think we've hammered home kind of the soft skills related to this and some of the technical knowledge, but I, I do want to kind of pivot as we move towards the end of this episode to talk about some of the the harder skills within negotiation. And I think that where we can kind of start with that example that you used right there of utilizing proof of funds, which for those of you guys that don't know what that is. Uh, it could be as simple as sending, you know, the top of your bank statement that is uh, just shows how much money you have in your account. Or it could be a letter from your banker saying, Dan and Mason have enough money to purchase X number of lots or X at X dollar for whatever. And it can be really, really simple because most people aren't doing it. And for the seller that has a competing offer that's higher than yours, I think 
what Dan said right there of, oh, did they send a proof of funds? Look in your email inbox. I'm sending you proof of funds right now. I think number two is depending on who you are as a person within your own business, say, check the purchase agreement they sent you and see if there's an assignment clause in it and recognize that most likely most of the people in this industry are wholesalers and they are going to purchase they are going to come in and get this landowner contract for 60000 and they're going to go assign that contract to an end buyer that they may or may not have in their network for 65000 We are the end buyer for it. We're going to be purchasing this land ourselves with our own funds. See if there's assignment language in it. And I think that right there might be a potential negotiation tactic that's a little more specific that can get you more and more deals. I think that's that's one tactic, but Dan... I put in here in our bullet points, talk about building costs. Have you used that in your negotiation with buying vacant land before? Yes. Yes, definitely more so when that was all over the news as far as lumber being crazy and commodities out of control. But kind of as a bigger point to that, just whatever is on on the news, you can certainly use to your advantage. Because again, a lot of these folks sit around watching Fox News all day. And so- and the last year, and this is legitimate, we were using, hey, we're, we're worried about the market. Uh, we might be higher or we would have been higher six months ago, but man, I don't know where we're headed. We got to be conservative and nobody would disagree with that. And in fact, they tend to be, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, so talking about building costs, if that's on the headlines, can certainly be a reason for a lower offer or anything else that's on the uh, uh, collective minds of our sellers. Absolutely. And I'm not saying you should utilize the language within your contractual agreement as a negotiation tool, but a line that I used back whenever I was on the phone is, all right, Dan, with recognizing that I've got a lot of building costs associated with this land that's going to, that I need to make the numbers work in my business because they know you're making money on this and that's fine. Knowing that I'm paying all closing costs, I'm paying for title insurance to protect you and protect myself in this transaction and knowing that you don't have to list it or deal with a realtor, what do you think a fair price for your land would be? And adding all those things up goes back into being specific and intentional with the language that you're using whenever you're talking about your business to your friends and family. Being able to say all that stuff, typically what I've seen with most sellers is they want to help you out. And they're going to give you an offer if you can get them to say say the number first, which is a tactic we also put in here. Try and get your seller to say a number first and then negotiate from that number. They're going to want to help you. They're going to give you a deal. And by just being honest and transparent that you got to make money on this too, I think they're going to recognize, hey, this guy's not scamming me. He's just a businessman. Yep. Yep. Those are Those are great points as well. It's a good way if you build enough rapport, you can kind of conceptually move yourself around the table so you're both looking on the same, sitting on the same side of the table, looking at the deal together as opposed to a confrontational negotiation across the table with each other. And one other strategy that we use constantly is where I like to call it the takeaway. And this is a great way to determine whether this person is someone you want to spend your time with or they should just go sell on market. And so, because you'll get people who don't want to sell on market are okay taking a discount, but they still cite numbers from Zillow. And so 
if the seller's doing that, I have my people say, oh, well, geez, Mason, you know, we're, we're investors, we're builders, we're numbers driven, and we're not falling in love with your land. So we're going to be lower. If you want to sell on market, we have a great realtor. We're happy to send you to. And this usually, there's a bifurcation where some of them are like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. And then, all right, wonderful. We won't waste more time with that person. We won't offend them with a low offer. Goodbye. On the flip side, you get people who go, no, well, I don't want to deal with realtors. What can you offer? Ah, see, that that tells us this is our seller, number one. And then number two, it totally shifted the power dynamic of the conversation because now they're coming to me. I told you, I don't need it. Here's a realtor. And now they're asking us for the offer. So they just gave us permission to make a low offer. We use that constantly. And right there of the, I don't need it, just shows them of, ooh, I can't play hardball with this person because they're just going to walk away. And they've offered to help me. And they said that things don't work out. And they don't seem very upset about it. Of I think a lot of times people expect this negotiation of, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I can make that number work. And I think using those numbers on Zillow, recognize that if they're not within the world of real estate, they might not be reading it. There might be a lot for sale down the street for $100,000. And they're saying, I want $100,000 for my piece of land, but their piece of land is less desirable. And that $100,000 piece of land has been on the market for 794 days and say, okay, well, this one's been on the market for 794 days. My guess is it might take another 300 days to sell. So uh, if in the next year or so you want to sell to us, absolutely do it. And I think utilizing other numbers that could be within your tool belt, such as depending on the county, a lot of times the tax assessor or the treasurer will have the assessed value or the fair cash value or the market value of land. You can pick whatever the lowest number of that is because they've most likely seen it on their most recent property tax bill and utilize that as an anchor. The a negotiation that I helped the friend with yesterday where the market value of the land per the county tax assessor's website was, I think, 370000 He spoke to a realtor that lives three doors down from the lot. He said that lot is going to easily sell in the six fifty to 700000 range. Use that as an anchor because there's so much room in that deal. And it's a number that they can go look up and look on their own information and look at their own mail and all I'm saying is use these numbers to your advantage whenever they are advantageous and recognize that you don't need any of these deals uh, to, to put food on the table. And if you can recognize that, then you're going to be the less emotional creature in it and in the negotiation, and you're going to be able to walk away ahead. Yeah, I, I don't need it is so important. You have to enter these negotiations, even if you do with that mindset. I mean, there's one. I think it's a good example, but it's just, it's one of the most extreme ones that kind of emphasizes all these points where one of my guys was negotiating with a, a lady on a lot in Palm Bay, Florida, excuse me, Palm Coast, Florida at the beginning of this year. And at that time it had slowed down there quite a bit. It's picked up since, but a lot of the listed prices were way above what things were selling for. And so there were lots listed all over at 70K by hers and we could only pay 30. Just realistically, it was going to sell at 55 to 60. And so she's looking at Zillow while they're negotiating. I listened to this phone call. She's looking at Zillow. She's mentioning, oh, this is listed 70, 68, 72. And my guy just goes, look, this is what we can pay. We can pay $30,000. We'll close every time. We'll close quickly. We'll pay the closing costs. And if you don't want it, no worries. He didn't you know, fall over or 
he didn't sound desperate. He didn't care what her number is. Hey, this is what we can do. No, no worries if that doesn't work. I think he did a bit of the takeaway too. And she said, no. But then she comes back and she goes, well, can you go up a thousand or two? I forget. I think we paid like 31. So you never know what's on someone's mind. You never know what they're actually thinking. And it's always worth uh, using these tactics, using these, these strategies to get an idea of what they'd really sell for. So that one also ended up being the lady that sold us the uh, homestead property that we bought at 45 and sold at 130. So there we go. And that right there is in, in not so many words, humans are feeling beings that think, not thinking beings that feel. So if you can be the thinking being that feels where recognize of don't shoot yourself in the foot over a grand, let them have that win. They are going to walk away saying, you know what? I squeezed them for every dollar. They offered me 30 and I got 31 two out of them. And that right there can serve as a win. And it just, once again, all of the points that we've made today of attempt to be logical, utilize numbers to your advantage uh, whenever they are advantageous and know that you can walk away at any point because you are not the emotion-driven uh, person in this interaction. It's typically going to be the seller. And if you can play to their emotions and you can make them feel like they're walking away winning and recognize that you're walking away winning too, those are the kind of sellers you want to work with because some sellers feel like they need to squeeze every dollar out of you and make sure that you're hurting. Uh, I feel like that negotiation tactic doesn't necessarily work quite as much in this business of, oh, Dan, you're bleeding me dry, but I'll make it work for you. We don't use that in our business. Uh, maybe if other people have used that in their business, we'd love to hear your feedback on that tactic. But I think, uh, I think those are a majority of the points related to various negotiation tactics in, in the land space. Dan, is there anything else uh, you want to bring up before we wrap things up? Yeah, just a simple additional summary would be make sure you, you build out your avatar so you know who you or your employees are talking to. Make sure you're asking questions, listening to clarify the seller's needs, wants, fears, and then negotiate accordingly. So Dan Habercost and Mason McDonald on the Big Picture Blueprint. Catch you guys next time. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.